This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Voices of Misery podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. On with the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, and I'm a little intimidated today because our guest today is a writer, and she also went to Harvard. And you guys know me, I'm not that bright, so I am definitely out of my element today. Her name is Bracca Getz, and I am going to just throw her on here right now. Hello, Bracca. How are you doing? And thank you for coming on the show. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm very happy that you came on the show, and I'm very intimidated because you're a very smart person. <laughs> That's okay. I don't come across that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most most smart people say that, so I really do appreciate you giving me the day. So let's just jump right into it here. Um, so you went to Harvard. H- how is that when you're in, in, in Harvard? Like, how does it feel when you're like the smart person and you go to this place where there's a lot of smart people, do you feel like you have to overcompensate or is it intimidating? How was it? Yeah, for me, it wasn't intimidating at all. I was such a searcher for wisdom in life. So I just wanted to absorb as much wisdom as possible from everybody, from the other students, from the other, from the professors. Uh, uh, You're going to be interested to hear this. (laughs) I mean, like in my dorm, was Bill Gates, you know, when I was there. And um, I, I I could even tell you about him and Steve Ballmer, who was like, the, you know, the assistant um, of Microsoft, his, his second hand guy. He, he, they, would, they would spend all the time in the little tiny computer room that we had. There was, there was one computer room in our dorm. Like nobody had their own personal computers back then. There was one room and they hogged it all the time. The two of them were always in the room. And, and the only reason I knew that was because I was in the dance studio next door, you know? So <laughs> that's why I used to see them a lot. Yeah. But Wait, um, the, yeah, real Bill okay. Gates? the what? The real Bill Gates was there, huh? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and he was just considered a nerd, and so was, you know, oh, like that, that's your name on this. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but, but, you know, he was just like, you know, just considered not too social, like a nerdy kind of person, you know, and, and mm. so was Steve Ballmer. He, he, like, kind of tried to talk to me sometimes. I remember in, like, the TV lounge, but, you know, they were just considered kind of like I don't even know if the word nerd existed back then but that's what they were considered you know <laughs> and um okay. I, I I knew a bunch of people back like Caroline Kennedy was in my dorm and and we she used to talk to me 
it was interesting because she ended up marrying a Jewish guy. She was very interested in Judaism back then, which was, and she would ask me questions about it and stuff like that. And um, we used to eat dinner together sometimes. I knew a lot of interesting people, Rockefeller, Abby Rockefeller. She was the daughter, um, I think, of Nelson Rockefeller. And, and the other, Tim Moynihan was the son of Daniel Moynihan. He was the boyfriend of my um, the boyfriend of my boyfriend's sister, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So these are just like some of the people I knew back then. You know, when when I was at Harvard. So it was not intimidating. It was totally interesting, just being around all these people. Oh, oh. But I'm going to tell you this story. Sure. I, 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 I was invited to this very exclusive garden party because of my boyfriend and like his father was a big corporate lawyer. And so I got invited to this party and it, it felt when I was at this garden party, like this is where I wanted to be my whole life. Like I made it to the top with all these people, with all the children of these famous people. And, and I, so I'm like looking around, like hoping I don't blink at all because I want to like get every second in. But like, I noticed that everybody there it's just like everybody else I ever knew. And like, they're all kind of looking past the people they're talking to, to look for something else as well. Like, like what I'm, what I'm bringing up is there was really nothing there at the place I was striving to be and thinking, this is it. Now I made it. And I feel very blessed that I got to the top of that mountain where people think, oh, this is when you make it to fame. Like, this is exciting to be with all these famous people. And it's they're not different than any other people. Everybody else is just, you know, they have the same body parts. Everyone's just the same, you know, it's like so like. And then it started pouring all of a sudden. There was this huge thunderstorm on this gorgeous day in May. And the whole party was messed up and all the sandwiches became soggy and everyone went running. And I felt like I had like a turning point in my life at that party because I felt like I've reached the top. There's nothing up here, nothing much up here. And yet these people, they can't even stop the rain from coming down on their party. Like there is something more powerful. I ha- I don't know what it is. There, I've reached the top and this is not it. Like there's something more. There's a greater wisdom in life. There's something more valuable to strive for. And at that point in life, I did not yet know what that could be. But I knew that I had reached that mirage and there was really nothing there and I wanted to keep going. Yeah. Well, is there any part of you now? Because like you see what Bill Gates became, obviously, he became this multi-billionaire. I mean, this guy's getting divorced and he's still going to have more money than, than than pretty much anybody else on the planet Earth. Yes. Is there, is there any part of you that like sits there and is like, wow, that could have been me. Like, why didn't I go down that path and sit in that computer office instead of in the dance hall next door? Yes. I'm so grateful that I didn't go that life. Like all I feel is gratitude. Like money can't buy happiness. He's the proof. Even though he was, he's doing philanthropic things for the world and stuff. And he and his wife were helping people that still wasn't enough to keep the love going. And to me, I feel like my life is like surrounded by love. And I feel like I chose 
such a different course in life. I went a complete detour in my life from the from the professional life that I was heading toward. And I turned into a, I made a huge spiritual detour because because I realized that the part of me that was so hungry for meaning was the spiritual part of me that was hungry. So I made a complete change. I didn't go in that route like where I was headed, where even when I was at Harvard as an undergraduate, I was like doing groundbreaking research even then. But now I feel I still want to help the world in that sense. I, I still want to share the wisdom that I've been able to discover, but it's a life of love. And I clearly see that money doesn't get you that. There Again, he is a proof that there's something more than what he achieved, which was something great. It helped all of us. I mean, that we all have personal computers now and phones. I mean, this is all thanks to his genius, you know, that got us to the place we are. But there's still something more. And there's something missing in in almost everybody. And that's... That's why I believe addictions are so widespread and um, also why he's just the proof that money can't buy love, you know? Yeah, Oh, absolutely. But I do feel like you did take a, a, a very good path in life because I think that what, what you did with, with, with your life and your career is something that can be basically like passed down for generation and generations because you're an author and you've written over what, like 39 children's books and that's something I wanted to get into here was just to talk about that because there's a lot that goes into the creative process to writing. And I want to know if you can kind of just describe how you get into that mindset to write books for children and like how you would have that, that, that mindset and connection as an adult writing for someone so much younger than you that you may not have that connection with. Yeah. Well, I never grew up. I mean, that's one thing or I'm always growing up. I mean, I, I have a sense of wonder about life that I hope will never go away. So I'm very much childlike in that way still. And so I can get into the mind of a child at any moment. I mean, <laughs> when I hang out with my grandchildren now, I, I, I'm totally with them. You know, they get that about me. You know, I'm like, I'm just there with them in the imaginative play that they're doing. You know, I... Mm -hmm. I so, but the thing that's different about my books, they're not just any children's books, they're spiritual children's books. And, and that's what's unusual about them, because I tackle very deep subjects in general. And I try to explain them in the most simple and joyful way possible. So that, to me, writing children's books is engraving on souls. Because children when they're young they're open they're open to everything and they're also very close to their spiritual selves so they haven't been um what's the word you know tarnished yet i mean hopefully if unless they've had an abusive childhood you know they they're still so open to wisdom in life and and um so i'm writing for the children who I'm writing book, the books that I wished I had as a child that provide the spiritual nourishment that I didn't get, and that's what I was starving for. So the, 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 those are the kind of books that I write. Well, that's a heck of a responsibility because you're basically molding children from a young age, and you have to basically like 
be kind of cognizant as to like what what you're putting in these books because kids are very impressionable like we said how do you choose which topics to talk about that that is going to get these kids on the right path going forward yeah i'm gonna give one example i'm giving you one example is the invisible book it's about all the things that we believe in that are invisible because so many people could say i don't believe I have a soul or I am a soul because I can't see it. Mm-hmm. So, or a higher power, all these things. So, so well, I, I bring out that we believe in here, gravity. You just let go of anything in your hand. It falls to the ground. It's an invisible force. We all believe in it. It's gravity. What about our feelings? What about our thoughts? They're all invisible. And yet we totally believe in them. What about time? What about electromagnetism? How can a magnet pick up a paperclip? It's invisible. Mm -hmm. And yet we see the huge effects of these things in our lives, but we never see them. We don't touch them. We we, we don't feel them. We're not measuring them. I mean, with gravity, you could kind of measure it. But it's like there is so much that has powerful effects of our lives. So the same thing I'm trying to explain evidence of that we are all spiritual beings in physical bodies housed in physical bodies but that's invisible to us so that's an example of the invisible book but like i have books also like about prevention preventing prevention of sexual abuse what does that have to do with spirituality because if a child is abused as a child that puts a huge cover, a darkens, a darkening over their soul so they can't shine. This is all how we can nourish our souls by protecting our souls as well from things like abuse and and things like bullying. I have a book about um, Let's Appreciate Everyone, which is about disabilities, teaching children what it's like to have a disability because children with disabilities are usually the loneliest children. They don't get invited to play dates or parties nearly as much as children that don't have disabilities. So, and why is this? We, I explain that when you, when children meet someone with a disability, what they usually do is a five letter word that begins with S and that's stare. They just stare. Instead, there's a five-letter word that begins with an S that they could smile. Instead, smile. And that right away warms the heart of the person that has a disability even more than anybody else. Everyone needs smiles, but especially those that have disabilities. So we need to teach children not just to stare because you're curious, but also smile. It makes a world of difference. And like... If you if a if I, I, we teach that if a child meets someone who has um, is deaf, you 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 speak very slowly so they could read your lips, or you write them a note, or if you if you're not old enough to write a note, you draw a picture. These are ways to communicate and interact. If you meet someone who's blind, you walk up, you say who you are, you introduce yourself. And if you're going away, you say, I'm going now, bye-bye. Like these are basic things. If you meet someone in a wheelchair, sit down next to them so that you're not talking from above them. You're on the same level. 
all kinds of basic skills. And, and then there are so many invisible disabilities. If you, there are children that don't know how to interact socially as well. Invite them to play. If you see a child sitting on the side, invite them to come and join the game. They may not want to, but it will make them feel good that you tried. All kinds of things which children just don't know. No one's ever explained to them these basic ways about how to interact so that um, so that everyone's soul can shine. That's, that's the purpose of all my books, to help children's souls to shine. And if, if you get them shining as a child, then it goes on and on throughout life. If you gain these skills as a child, like w one book I have is, is I Want to Be Famous. Because like, like I said about Harvard, so many people want to be famous. They think that's like the end all and be all. So this boy becomes famous overnight the way anybody could nowadays. Someone takes a YouTube video of him doing something ridiculous. He becomes famous and then just as quickly he he, glor he he enjoys the glory of the fame, but just as quickly someone else could do it better, he loses his fame. And he's miserable until he realizes there's a spotlight inside of each of us. If we can get that shining, it's not dependent on anybody else. It's totally empowering. If we can nourish our souls, every day will be a glorious day forever. Like we will know how to rise above challenges, painful things that happen to us if we get our souls shining. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's beautiful. And the thing is, is like we need more books like this out there because the thing is, is like there's a lot of um, like children out there and there's a lot of like books and things that are just really steering them in, in, in my opinion, in the wrong direction. And it's very nice because it sounds to me like your books are all about common decency and just treating people the way you want to be treated and just and, and, and just being a good person. And I want to commend you on that. I think that's a really good thing out there. And because there's just so much negativity right now, especially especially now in the world. And and I just feel like our kids don't have the right resources. So it's a really good thing that you're doing what you do. And I just want to thank you for that because there's just so much bad stuff going on right now. It's good to see someone trying to help steer the future of our country in the right place. Thank you so much because I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that what we need is joy. That yeah. is what's needed. Yes, love and joy and peace, just like, I, just like they were saying in the 60s. But yes, that's really what we need. <laughs> Hey, if it worked back then, it could work now. <laughs> now, you did mention spirituality a lot, and I just wanted to ask you about that. So as, as far as your books go, like how how do you write about spirituality when you have your own beliefs? And I know that you're of the Jewish faith. Is it hard to write about spirituality? Because not everyone's going to subscribe to the same beliefs you do. How do you write a book without any kind of bias as to what you believe in as what someone else may believe in, just so you can kind of have a book for everyone and not just a certain mindset? That's a great question. Beautiful question. I, I take the universal themes and it, it does, they are all Jewish concepts, but they're all universal ideas. And um, that's really what our mission is, really, as Jewish people, to be a light to the world. That's what we want to shine. So that's that's what I love doing. And, of course, when my soul shines, my soul shines more when I help other souls to shine. So it, 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 it's, it's, it's just the greatest pleasure to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah.
Oh, that's incredible. It really is. But how did you get started in this whole thing? Like, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? It was just right. Oh, well, I remember when I was like in third grade or something, I was writing, a lot of my stuff is written in rhyme. So I wrote this poem when I was like in third grade that they read in front of the school. And it was about how books can take you any place. When you read a book, you're not, you're no longer in your room. You're like flying around the world. You're in outer space. You're anywhere in the universe or any place in time when you read a book. So I think that was kind of a foreshadowing to where I was headed. Um, I remember that in high school, they voted me class author. And I was like, why pick that? I didn't know, you know, I didn't think of myself like that, but other people did, you know? So um, I, when my children were little, I used to sit outside. I was living in Israel then and they were playing in the playground and I would just start writing stories about them, ideas I got from watching them. And so the first story, I put it in an envelope. I had no computer back then, you know, so I stuck it, I, I wrote it on loose leaf paper. I put it in an envelope, I mailed it to the United States. And like six weeks later, I got an, an, a mail back a letter and saying that my book was accepted for publication. And that was the beginning. I, I said, well, this is how you write children's books. Okay, great. So later on, of course, I did get a computer and I did things more professionally, but um, that was the beginning of how it started. Yeah. That's incredible because the, the thing about being an author, because like I used to think way long ago that I could write and, and, and I had a, a bunch of like short stories that I wrote. But then I just gave it up, and I don't know if it's something that I regret in life or if it was a good decision because there's so many authors. There's so many books. My wife and I, we just went to a bookstore yesterday, and there were thousands of books from people I'd never heard of. And you have to wonder like, what the motivation is behind writing because it's not to get rich, obviously, because there's a very small percentage of writers that get rich. And, and I guess my question to you is, like, what was your motivation to do this, and how do you stand out when there's so many books out there. There's just so many authors. Yeah, great question. So I, my whole thing is about the message. Not everybody's that way. Some people just enjoy writing. I love getting my message out into the world. And I think it's all about connection. It's why people are on their phones all the time. It's why now that people can self-publish. So many of these authors, I haven't gone the self-publishing route, but my books have all been published by traditional publishers, but everybody can now self-publish. Everybody can publish a book now if you want. Everybody, I mean, it's the same with podcasts too. Everybody, oh, we all want to be heard. We and what does it all relate to? We just all want our souls to shine. That's what it really is. We all want to connect. And to me, I believe it's all coming from the very deepest sense of connection that we all want to connect to the same source. We, we all want to be connected to each other and we all want to be connected to the same unifying source of all of us. So I, I, I just see it as everybody wanting to express themselves, which is beautiful. And, um, you know, there's so many diverse ideas and you can get lost. How should I spend my time? Who do I want to listen to? So we choose. And, you know, certain things rise to the surface of, of what is the most valuable way to be spending our time in life. We all have to make those decisions. But it's beautiful now that everybody can express themselves and get their message out into the world. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you find it hard to keep 
people's attention as a writer because there's so many instant gratification methods out there. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got an iPad or a tablet device or a computer, TV, radio. There's so many different outlets. So how do you like keep their attention? Because as it, it's very hard. I can't even remember the last time I sat and read a book. And I used to enjoy doing it, but now it just feels like there's no time for it. How do you grip people and keep their attention? That's a great question. I don't really write long books. I only wrote one long book, and that's my memoir, the story of how, you know, I overcame food addictions and became a spiritual person. That, but that book, even that book I didn't write, it, I just compiled it from my diaries, my journals, my letters. I put it together. I filled in the missing pieces. It, it, it's like a documentary. I don't write long things. My books are short because I also don't like to read long things. My books are really short picture books. I just get to the point. And that's why, I, like poets do that too. You just get to the core of what is my message to the world. That's really it. Um, so I think my books are unusual that way and they don't take me a long time to write. They kind of flow right out of me. Um, once I know what I want to write about, or sometimes people ask me to write about certain subjects, like, like it was like a year ago, somebody asked me to write a book about let's swim safely. I, I, this book just came out last week. Let's swim safely. This is important because Again, it's about protecting our souls. If we don't keep our bodies safe, then we won't have our souls in this world anymore. So I see it as all connected. I'm very into public health. Like when I was an undergraduate at Harvard, I also took courses at the uh, Graduate School of Public Health because I'm very into, uh, as you see, with like the safety books for children of um, abuse. And also I write books about eating healthy um, it's, it's so important. If we don't guard our precious bodies, then we won't be able to have our precious souls in this world. So swimming safely is also important. And, and, and that this book just came, it's just like a really short board book, but it's essential for children. It's written in a way that toddlers can understand because toddlers, it's the most dangerous for them to be near water. Um, parents, and it says it in this book, don't take your eyes off of a toddler for a minute when you're, yeah, even in a bathtub. I mean, children, unfortunately, can even drown in bathtubs. It's like so serious. You really have to watch children all the time. And they can have so much fun, but but we have to take it seriously, um, their safety. Yeah. Now, you're basically taking over the role of, of parent in a lot of these circumstances. When <laughs> writing these books... I mean, and, and it's very unfortunate to say this out loud, but a lot of people, like parents out there, just don't even pay attention to their children. So you're taking on role of teacher as well as writer and parent because you're, you're teaching these kids things that their parents otherwise wouldn't teach them. And so that's another thing I admire. I think it's really cool of you to do that. But have you always been a nurturing person? Like, when did you realize that, like, you, you wanted to help children and, and especially children? You know, that's a great question. I used to hang out with my dolls, you know. I grew up, um, my sister was nine years older than me, so I didn't have, like, any little kids to interact with as a child, um, except for my dolls. I used to put them in the bed with me, and there was hardly any room for me. But I was, like, wanting that. I was like, I want to have a whole bunch of children, and I did. So I had six children, thank God, and they're all now wonderful parents themselves. And... 
I, 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 like I said, I love children. I love being with children. And I don't see my, I, I feel like parents always need reminders because when you are being a parent, it's all absorbing. And you need reminders all the time about what's essential, what should be a priority, because you can get lost. In life, we get lost with mm -hmm. what should really be our priority. So, yeah, in that sense, I see myself as reminding parents, you know, not actually being the parent, but reminding parents what's so important in life. And um, many times when I write these books, people say to me, oh, you should write a book like this for the adults. And I say, I am. Because who do you think is reading these books to the children? You know, when they read the books to the children, they're absorbing the messages themselves as well. So I write for the children, but it, the books are also valuable for the parents that are reading it to the children as well. Right. Were there any topics out there that you that you feel like you don't want to write about? Do you feel like that's more something like, like you don't want to touch like any, any topics like that for children? I can't think of any that, um, but I, I, I'm not so into fantasy. I, mm -hmm. I'm into real life. That's mm -hmm. the thing. So like one of my books is about a girl. She's having a dream. And, and you know, the, the in the dream world, she realizes that by giving to other people, that can really make her happy. Because like in the beginning of the book, she's sitting at home. It's a rainy day. She's bored. She doesn't know what to do. And then what happens is she, you don't realize to the end of the book, but she falls asleep I, because she and she goes into this world where everyone's helping each other and goes, this is a great world to be in. I like this. Hey, so then she, when she wakes up, she realizes she could do all kinds of good things for other people and never be bored. Like she can call people. She could call her grandparents or other older people that are home and lonely that would love to hear from her. She could make cards for people and send them out and, and, and make people happy, you know, do arts and crafts projects. She could do weeding in a garden. She could clean sticky walls. Like it's endless. If you're going to be doing good deeds, there's an infinite amount of things you could do. You'll never be bored in life. So that's that's the only kind of book where there is some fantasy in it, where she's having a dream. But but it's based on reality, that that's really how we bring joy into our lives. So my children learn right away. They weren't of a they didn't come up to me too often and say I'm bored because they knew I would find something wonderful for them to do. And they, they got the hang of that. You know what I mean? There's always good things to do in this world. So, um, I, I, yeah, I would say fantasy would be the books that I don't write. I write about real life and how wondrous and amazing real life is. Right. Those are lessons we could all learn to live by. I'm telling you, it's, it's an amazing message right there. Now, what were some of your favorite books growing up as, as, as a child? Oh, Dr. Seuss. I loved Dr. Seuss. I still do. When I go into people's homes, I first thing I, I gravitate to is their children's books. Like, I just want to read more and more children's books. I find them fantastic. Dr. Seuss opened up my mind. Like, And I draw like Dr. Seuss, kind of. I draw crazy pictures of creatures that aren't exactly real. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that was my favorite children's author, I would say. And I, of course, I love Charlotte's Web, Stuart Little, like just amazing writers of classics. Um, and then the other book that changed my life was The Diary of Anne Frank. Mm. Uh, 
that changed my life tremendously. And Catcher in the Rye, uh, because that's when I started writing my my diaries, and that became my memoir. So I think, um, yeah, those are books that really affected me. What about your own work? What What are some of your favorites? What is your your number one book as far as your personal opinion? What is your 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 best work? I, the the books about like preventing safety books and sexual abuse prevention have really affected a lot of people. I know they've saved lives. So that makes me really happy that the books have saved lives. But what I think my favorite book is Hashem's Candy Store, which because I love the illustrations, um, actually, um, I don't always get to pick the illustrators for my books. Usually the publishing companies pick it, but for this book, I was able to pick the illustrator and I love her. She's an awesome illustrator, Dina Ackerman. And she did the pictures in this book in a way that enhances the words so much. The pictures are so colorful of the amazing fruits and vegetables in our world and it she just makes our she she shows up how colorful our world is. So I I love Hashem's candy store the most. Yeah. Now now you did mention writing books about topics such as sexual abuse. Now that's a very 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 sensitive topic. So how do you paint that picture to a young child like hey this may be happening to you and it's not right and this is how you can help? How do you paint that picture to them? Yes. Well, okay, I, I wrote two different types of books on the subject. One book, I just stuck it in the middle of the book as another normative safety guideline, which is one interesting way of presenting it. In other words, um, don't run into the street to catch your ball and don't let someone touch you in inappropriate ways. You know, like I just put it in there of like, of all different natural, normal guidelines that we need to follow so that so that parents can explain it to them in a very calm way as if it's just any other guideline that we need to follow and for children to be aware of it. It's, it's at a very young age, even uh, starting with age three. Uh, and, and this book, when parents are uncomfortable discussing these subjects, the book makes it easy to discuss it. Just from reading this book, it makes the discussions flow easily. So it's really helpful in that way. And the second book that I wrote on the subject is about how precious our bodies are. The focus is that when something is very precious to you, you guard it carefully. And the focus is on that, is on how beautiful our bodies are, how precious they are, and that you have a right to give permission or not for anybody to touch you. So don't, don't give it when you don't want it. It's, it's, it's your wonderful body. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what are you working on now as, as, as far as books go? Is there any like projects you got in the can or anything that you're currently writing or working on? Yeah, the, the next book that's going to be coming out is some, something really new is happening is that my youngest son and his wife just decided to start a publishing company of my books because up until now I've been using all these different publishers and they said, why shouldn't we become a publisher now? So they are publishing my next book, which is Let's Stay Healthy, which I think, you know, with the whole pandemic that we've just been through, it's a very timely book about how children can keep themselves healthy. And it explained things like, 
it explains why is it important to wash our hands, brush our teeth, to um, to floss our teeth. These are things I never did as a kid, but it goes into why it's like actually important to do these things. And and of course, and of course sleep, which nobody wants to go to sleep. Children never want to go to sleep. It like goes into that and exercise. And the main thing that it discusses is eating healthy foods because it explains what real garbage most of us are eating. It's really funny that the, um, the acronym for the standard American diet is SAD because it really is SAD, like is. how most of us eat. I mean, the latest statistics I got is that 70, this is unbelievable to me, I, even I can't believe it, that 73% of U.S. adults are um, overweight or obese. That's amazing. I, I, I find it incredible. Yeah, no, I, I would know. Isn't that shocking? I know. Wow. <laughs> I, and, and, and this new book came out. Oh, gosh, what is his name? But he... He was a New York Times um, investigative reporter, and he wrote this book called Hooked about how the food, the processed food is designed to be addictive, not the natural food. Natural food is designed to be delicious and nutritious, and this food, the all the processed garbage that we eat, is designed to be delicious it's 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 chemically calculated to be delicious and addictive, but not nutritious for us. So in this book, Let's Stay Healthy, I'm actually explaining this to the children that like the sprinkles may be all this all colorful and they look great, but they're full of dyes, mm -hmm. dyes that are actually really bad for us. And all the all the horrible cereals that are stuffed with sugar yes. that actually drains us of the nutrients in our body. I mean, this is the standard American diet and it's not designed to keep us healthy. So we really have to expose this. I mean, this author is exposing it for adults, but I'm trying to expose this for children because uh, we, and, and I'm doing it in a joyful way too. I, the book is, it's really important that you can't be preachy and you have to be joyful when you write children's books, but that's what it is. It's, it's a really crucial book. We, we have to spread the word that the way food was originally designed um, by the creator of all was to be nutritious and delicious and the food that is designed by factories is out of greed to to make us addict to be addictive to us and mm -hmm. not to keep us healthy. Yeah. There's something, and, and and this is where we are going to see eye to eye 100 because I am on board with everything you're saying. I used to be around 300 pounds, wow. and I went keto, and wow. I dropped all that weight. I now I'm at a healthy 170 at wow. six foot. And I only eat meat and stuff like that. And I know some people say it's not healthy, but it worked for me. And one thing yeah. I've noticed is when you go to a grocery store and you buy food, if you want to prepare it yourself, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. We actually bought some uh, hamburger meat the other day, and it was like 10 bucks. Of course, the price of food is going up. But if you go to McDonald's, you can buy a burger for like a dollar. And that's not the healthiest way to eat. So my question to you is like, why can I go to the store 
and spend $300 in groceries and barely have anything, but I could take that same $300 and eat for a month at a place that's unhealthy for me, like McDonald's or, or basically buy, buy the sugar-filled garbage you know, meals and, and, and very high in carbs and fat and all this other nasty uh, processed junk that they put in there. Why is it so expensive to live a healthy lifestyle? Why, why won't they, and, and when I say they, I mean the government and people in charge of the pricing and all this stuff, why, why don't they want us to be healthy? Why are they encouraging us to, to basically eat garbage by making the prices, the, the, basically like the, the, the price disparity so, so high? Right. This is an excellent question. The thing is, um, some people say to me it's expensive to live a healthy lifestyle. First of all, I want to say it's expensive not to because you're giving up years of your life. Instead, pers- people will, will be spending it on medical bills and and, and even just living shorter lives because they're not going to be able to maintain their health if they keep eating junk. It's, it's just, it's, that's the reality. So in the long run, I don't, I don't feel that it is the more expensive way to go. Now, the keto diet may be more expensive. Like, I don't think that the Mediterranean style of eating is the same um, expense-wise because it's mainly fruits and vegetables, which I don't know. I don't think this is so expensive. I, I don't eat a lot of meat. You know, um, I eat like a minimal amount of protein, but like a loads of fruits and vegetables is the main part of my diet. And it's just, I don't think it's so expensive. And in the long run, I know that it's, it's, it, it gives me a healthier life and I'm not going to be spending it on doctor bills. I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't need to take any medication. You know, I don't need to be doing the, I, this. This is not a part of my life because I'm living in a healthy way. Oh, so, I agree. I, I agree. 100%. Now, we did talk about the pandemic. Uh, like It was briefly mentioned. And one thing that really strikes me every time I talk to someone or anyone about the pandemic is the lack of focus on personal health. It was never once mentioned throughout this whole year and a half that we've been under these circumstances that people should be going out and jogging. They should be going out and changing their diet. They should be going out to gyms. Heck, they were closed for most of the time. Why is there not a focus on personal health? The people in charge don't care. They were telling us to stay home, watch Netflix, order food, order all this junk and have it sent to you because we can't have you moving. We, we, you have to stay gained. And then they were calling what, uh, the COVID-19 as far as gaining 19 pounds during the pandemic. That was like the joke. Oh, I gained my COVID-19. What about you during lockdown? You know? Yes. Why don't they care? Why don't they care about personal health? Why is that not a topic? I mean, you know, this is again, this is the focus on the physical instead of the spiritual. And, and, and that's what we're here for. It makes our roles even more important. We have to keep emphasizing that we're spiritual beings that, that, need, that need nourishment in order to thrive in every, in every way. I, I, I wanted to explain about the pleasure ladder. On the bottom, on the bottom level are all the physical pleasures in life. 
These are all the natural pleasures that were designed to uplift. Not only they went they, when they uplift our body, they also uplift our soul. This is all the natural foods. This is movement. This is dance. This is music. Being in nature. All these natural things that were designed to give us a ton of joy in life, in abundance, and when we experience these things. It not only uplifts our body, nourishes our body, it also nourishes and uplifts our soul. And and um, so those are all the basic pleasures that we leave. Why weren't these emphasized? Because unfortunately, uh, we, we don't have an emphasis on spiritual joy in this world. And we got to work. We have to put energy into emphasizing that. That's what we're here for. So, But moving up the pleasure ladder, the second level is love and and love is 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 totally empowering in other words it's not dependent believe it or not on anybody else it's not dependent on you know sitting by the phone and waiting for someone to call you it's a person focusing on the virtues of another what do you appreciate about someone else when you when you think about that right away you have this warm emotional feeling that comes into you when you focus on another so in other words a person in jail could could be ex- experiencing love by just focusing on the virtues of someone in their life it could have been a grandmother that that nurtured them whoever it is that's how they can bring love into their lives and um, moving up the ladder is meaning. Doing something positive and meaningful in the world is an even greater pleasure. The next highest level is creativity. When you put a part of yourself into the world and do something creative, that's an even greater pleasure. And the highest level of pleasure at all and the most lasting pleasure is transcendence. When we transcend our limitations, when we overcome our addictions, when we become better people, when we grow into who we can be, and when we connect, when the when the veil of separation gets lifted, we see how we're all connected to one source and we're all connected to each other. So these five levels of pleasure, they correspond to the five levels of the human soul. And there's an abundance of pleasure in this world. What I discovered when I, be, when I, when I discovered my rich heritage in, in my 20s, what I found out was the purpose of life. I learned this from a rabbi in Israel, which I didn't know until then. The purpose of life is to experience the greatest pleasure possible. And that's nothing like I ever heard before. So, And he explained that all these levels of pleasure is how we, we can experience life. They're all available to us. But we don't realize that we spend so much time being miserable. So that's why when you're asking about the pandemic, it really... It wasn't focused on this. It didn't have this life wisdom to offer. These are ways to bring pleasure into your life in the, in in such an uh, an abundance. And that's why addictions are so widespread because we don't have that sense of connection. We feel alienated, separated, estrangement. And the pandemic made addictions even worse. People felt more disconnected, more estrangement to the extreme. So we need to bring all of this into our lives to again, feel abundance and connection and, and just the, 
the awareness that we're all spiritual beings. We're not limited. It's re we really have unlimited potential. Oh, I agree with you right there. And you, you, you suffered from food addiction. And I kind of wanted to get into that because I feel like this is a very important topic, especially now with the pandemic and people just being at home and maybe just letting their good habits fall by the wayside over the past year and a half or so. How did this start? How did you know you had a problem? And how did you come out of it? Right. My book, my memoir, Searching for God in the Garbage, is all about I love how... that title. <laughs> I, what love, that? I love that title. That's a great yeah, title. <laughs> that's what I was doing for years. I was searching for God in the garbage. I, I was searching everywhere. And I mean, I was, that's why I ended up at Harvard, too, because I was, I was searching into everything. You know, I mean, experimenting with drugs, relationships, religions, all kinds of religions, um, environmentalism, social justice, you name it. I tried everything. I was searching for the greatest wisdom in life. I was searching for what could fill my hungry soul. And you see in the book that you just see me developing gradually these food addictions in my teen years when I started to become aware that like, is this all there is to life? You get up every day, you you go to work, you make money to buy food, to go to work, to make money, to buy food. Is that it? Like, what's this all for? What's the deeper purpose? So I went searching and, and that's ultimately why I, you know, ended up going there and just searching for wisdom every place. And after Harvard, I went to medical school. I was studying to be a psychiatrist. And again, just wanting to crack open this mind-body connection to be able to help people achieve meaning and joy in life. But I didn't find it there in medical school. So, so the summer between my first and second year of medical school, well, when I was in medical school that first year, I started getting, I would say, full-blown into the food addictions. By then, I was so desperately searching because I wasn't finding it. I hadn't found it at Harvard. I was still searching for it in medical school. What is the meaning to life? And I, so I went to Israel for the summer for a six-week vacation. Actually, I, I, I met with a psychiatrist when I was in my first year of med school. And I said, like, I am really going crazy. I told the psychiatrist all the nutty things I was doing in my food addiction, like really bizarre behaviors. Because when a person is an addict, they will do all kinds of crazy things and they'll do them secretly. No one will know about it. So it was a big step that I unfolded all this to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said to me, you know, I think that you think you're crazier than you are. I think when you go to Israel this summer, you're going to find yourself spiritually. This was a Japanese psychiatrist. It was really interesting that he perceived that. And he was right. I mean, that summer is when I was able to find the the wisdom of my heritage that was lost to me, that was never given to me. And I was able to get this understanding about life that I was craving. And that changed my life, basically. I was, when I was given the nourishment that my soul was starving for, there was no longer a need for the addictions because I now had I had like a roadmap of how to bring pleasure into my life, lasting pleasure. Because why does a person overeat? Because they want the simple pleasure that they're experiencing to keep lasting. So they just keep eating. Because when they stop eating, they'll be left with the emptiness again. In fact, even more emptiness than they had to before, before they started eating the whole bag of potato chips or the whole box of cookies. 
just to keep the pleasure lasting. So when you can find out how to bring lasting pleasure into your life through the pleasure ladder, through through all the natural pleasures that were created for us to experience joy, through bringing love into your life, through appreciating other people, meaning, doing meaningful things, being creative, and transcending your lim limitations in life. These are the ways to bring lasting pleasure into one's life and to transcend that estrangement and disconnection. So that's really how my life, it, and basically the book, the memoir documents that, that whole process of developing and then and then recovering from the addictions. That's unbelievable. Um, and the thing is, is like, I told you that I was very overweight. I went to the keto route. I lost a lot of weight. And I never understood what food addiction was because in my mind, I was never addicted to food. I just liked certain things a lot. So I didn't know that I was addicted. Did you know that you had a problem? And how bad did your personal relationship with food get to the point where you were like, I'm, I have a problem. I have to change this. Yes, I call something an addiction. When Addiction is when your life becomes unmanageable. I felt like my life had become unmanageable. It was taking over my energy, my relationships. It was becoming more important than other things in my life. That's when a person knows they have an addiction. A, a, a definition that's given, it's the compulsive use of something despite the harmful consequences. That's when a person has an addiction. When they're compulsively doing something despite knowing that it's harming you, that's an addiction. In your darkest times with it, how bad did it get though? Like, were you overweight or were you just like eating just to eat? Was it uh, like, when did it become a problem for you is what I'm trying to get at here. Right. Right. And you know, you never know what's going on inside of somebody because mm -hmm. if a person was to look at me, they would not have known I had a food addiction. Why? Because um, I was fluctuating between binge eating, eating crazy amounts of food because it was never enough with dieting like crazy the next day. So I, I didn't gain tremendous amounts of weight and I never became so emaciated like an anorexic that needs to be hospitalized because I was doing one or the other. And it was a terrible way to live. I, I was not eating according to my physical hunger at all. I was eating to fill the emptiness inside of me. So it was never enough. I never got enough because it wasn't what I really needed. Obviously, it wasn't the food, which gave me temporary pleasure, but it wasn't filling that hole within me. And, and that's the way it is for everybody that has any type of addiction. With food, it's just very obvious to make that connection, but it's, it works with every addiction. We're trying to fill that empty part, the, 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 the nourishment that our soul is craving, but we're giving it all the wrong stuff, you know, and so we're not giving it the natural pleasures that can really fill that, that hungriness, the genuine hunger that we should have, because it's a hunger for the, the simple, beautiful, wonderful pleasures in life. What is your relationship with food now, and, and, and how do you, like, eat, basically? I basically eat when I'm hungry and it's a pleasure, you know, and I really enjoy the wonderful food. I, try, I, I read a book recently, which even was even more helpful, gave me this new tip, which I love sharing. It said, 
chew your food slowly, not only do you digest better when you chew your food slowly, why rush it? Because the only pleasure, the only time you're experiencing pleasure is why it's in your mouth. So chew it more slowly and savor the pleasure. So I noticed that if you do that, you eat more slowly. And what you do is it brings you to a place of gratitude. You are more focused on the wonderful natural foods that you're eating. You feel a sense of gratitude. And I forgot to mention this that what gets you to pleasure, the only price you need to pay is gratitude. That is what brings you pleasure. It's what, it's what brings you to each rung of pleasure is gratitude, whether it's being grateful for nature, being grateful for music, being grateful for the natural foods in this world, or being grateful for another person in your life, or be feeling so grateful for your community that you want to give back, through doing something meaningful or being creative and, and feeling so grateful for who you are that you want to transcend your limitations and, and, and emulate the Almighty. Basically, it's about, it's about connecting to source with gratitude because if you don't, it's gratitude that gives us pleasure. That is really the key. And so I feel that my whole life now is filled with gratitude. Basically, it's, um, it's rare that I have a day that isn't filled with gratitude. <laughs> and um, so, you know, eating is now just a basic part of my life. It's just one of the many pleasures in my life. Yeah. Now, pleasure is extremely subjective because what pleasures me may not pleasure you or anybody else. So my question to you would be, I guess, um, how would you recommend someone find their own personal pleasure when it varies so vastly between people? Well, that's the thing. Despite that we all have particular tastes of things that we prefer, there are these basic five levels of pleasure that are universal. So these levels of pleasure apply to all of us because the every human soul relates to these five levels of pleasure. We all, can, unless we, you know, when our souls get covered up, by things like neglect and abuse in childhood, it does prevent us from experiencing fully the pleasure that we're capable of experiencing. So sometimes people do need therapeutic intervention in addition to nourishing their souls with all the pleasures that are abundant in this world. A person may need therapeutic intervention in order to remove the blockages, remove the coverings that are preventing their soul from shining and from experiencing the gratitude that naturally would flow when we experience these pleasures in life. So, so I believe that these five levels are universal for everybody, even though one person may like an orange and when one person may like a peach. I mean, these are the, that's why there's so much variety and abundance in life because we're all so diverse and there's so many choices we can make. We're not limited. It could have been that there were only oranges in this world, but it's not like that at all. There's <laughs> such a vast amount of things to choose from. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Now, how does someone stay on the path as far as um, like they've become enlightened and they've they, they've gone to this the, the, this pleasuredom of uh, basically just giving up their old life and becoming a good person, becoming a healthier person, becoming a happier person? How do you stay on that path, and what 
what would you recommend for people to stay on that? Because it's very hard to fall off and allow yourself a cheat day here or there. How do you stay on that path and how do you recommend other people stay on their righteous path? Oh, like it doesn't matter if you have a cheat day or something. It doesn't matter. Like, let's say um, I want to eat a cheese Danish. Okay, great, you know. But but it's like it's not going to like thrill me like it's not going to take over my life the cheese cheese danish because there's so much else you know i want to when i eat the cheese danish let's say it's so good i want to have another cheese danish and another cheese danish i'm in the habit now where i will say to myself is it your body that's hungry or your soul because if you just want to keep eating that thing then i know now Oh, you just want the pleasure to keep lasting. So what else could you do to bring yourself pleasure? And then then because now with this wisdom that I just shared with anybody that's listening, you will you will now have the same wisdom to know that if you get up and you stretch or you turn on music and you start dancing or you text somebody or you leave a message for someone with a message saying, you know, I really appreciate this about you. Just wanted to let you know, you just hang up, you leave the message. Suddenly, you won't feel like eating any more cheese Danish. You will have filled your soul with the nourishment it really wanted, the, the pleasure that it was really um, desiring. That is what you do. You, you learn this again and again, and as you, as you do it, as you practice this, it just becomes easier and easier. The gratitude muscle is is one of those things, you know, they say as neurons fire, that's how they wire. So the more that we fire out the gratitude in our lives, we, we fire the neurons that create gratitude, the more our brains, which have neuroplasticity, will rewire to make us become more grateful people. It's just how we become. The more gratitude that we experience, the more the more gratitude we'll be experiencing in our lives. The power of the brain is a very powerful thing. I'll tell you that. Um, I, I never thought, and, and this is how I used to live my life. I used to go to the store, uh, the gas station nearby my house, and I used to pick up a, a, a nice giant bag of gummy bears and worms and sharks and all these little cute little things and colorful sugary treats. And by the time I would get back home from the store, the bag would be empty. And yeah. I was like, why am I doing this to myself? And I never thought I'd be able to break that sugar addiction. So the brain is very powerful because now that I don't eat sugar anymore, it's been two years, I have wow. absolutely no desire for it. Wow. Wow. And how did you do it? How did you come to make the change? Cold turkey. I, I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I said, I don't like what I'm looking at. This isn't me. I'm, wow. I'm not supposed to be like this. And I just stopped. Wow. But that said, do you think there are some people out there that are that are hopeless? And I, I hate to say that and give up hope on people, but do you think there are some people out there that you just can't help, no matter how hard you try? I mean, it could be. I mean, you know, there are people that don't ever transcend their limitations in this lifetime, but they'll be back. They'll be back to transcend it in another lifetime. That's how it goes, you know. I mean, we, we, we believe in um, reincarnation, and that's what happens. If you haven't accomplished your life's goal in this life, you'll be back to do it in another life. It's, it's just the way it works. So, 
but we can just try. Um, there's a story of a person that was suicidal. They're, they're up on a rooftop and a woman across the way, she sees him and she's screaming, don't jump. Whatever you do, don't jump. She mm -hmm. says, I'm sure you have problems. I'm sure that your life is very painful. But what if I said to you, what if, what if you were blind your whole life and now you were just given the gift of sight? Would you still jump? And he says, no, I wouldn't if that happened to me. So she says to him, well, you've been blind your whole life. Now you have the gift of sight. You have so much to be grateful for, even though there's so much pain in your life, I'm sure. You have hands that are working. You have feet that are working. You have lungs that are pumping. You have so much in your life right now. And, and that's something the pandemic taught us, too. Mm -hmm. we, we, we got so much taken away from us all at once. And we learned to be, to be grateful for what we had and not to take things for granted that we took for granted so easily before. We're all changed people now. I think that the pandemic moved us all forward spiritually tremendously toward gratitude. Now, did you have anyone to uh, kind of pick you up in, in your dark times and, and set you on the path that you're on now? Because you're extremely positive and you're a great influence on people. Did you have someone that was the you for you, basically, like someone that like picked you up and helped you out and, and, and taught you the things that you know now that you're teaching others? There, there was this great rabbi that I met that summer, and Rabbi Noah Weinberg, he's no longer alive, mm. and he was a genius who, who took the wisdom, the ancient wisdom, and made it so relevant that anybody could understand it and see how it affected their lives. He, he, he brought out the wisdom of the pleasure ladder which was in the Torah, but he brought it out to life so we could see it and, and gain from it. And so much other wisdom that has filled my life that I, I got to share with other people. And that's how the course of my life changed. So yeah, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for this genius that really affected my life. That's nice. Everybody needs someone out there like that. And for the people that don't have someone like that, they become kind of lost and they don't have any path to go down besides the wrong path or they have to find their own way. Is there any tips or any advice that you would give to someone that doesn't have that positive mentor in their life? How can they find it within themselves to, to do the right thing and become better? I, I would definitely recommend reading the ancient wisdom from this was my heritage i don't know what anybody listening what their heritage is but it's incredible what ancient wisdom there is because for one thing we believe this is instructions for living like we say oh well we were born here with no instructions given to us with the package but but we believe there really were instructions for living living the most full life a life to thrive with so so it's been thrown in the garbage that's what my book is about but but there's still ancient wisdom there that you can rediscover and, 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 and enrich your life. And in addition to that, just keep trying to experience gratitude. Think of all the ways, think of all the illnesses you don't have this very moment. Think of, 
think of go through each body part and feel gratitude for it you can there are t t so many different gratitude exercises one is like just taking away each thing from your life in your mind and feeling how it would feel to not have what you have right now and then bring each one back and you will feel really grateful for it again. The more that you practice gratitude, the easier it becomes the next moment. And and each moment, each moment you can do it. We, it, it, in 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 Judaism, the 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 essence of the word in in Hebrew is hodaa, which is thankfulness. That's the essence to me of of being Jewish, and we 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 actually make blessings before we eat anything, after we eat anything, and even after going to the bathroom, we'll make blessings that we're grateful that our bodies are working well. It's 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 amazing. Throughout the day, I'm making blessings, and these are gratitude reminders from the minute I wake up that I, I say I'm grateful that my soul was returned to me for another day of life, another day of challenges to be able to grow and and come closer to being my full essence of who I am. Absolutely beautiful. These are some serious words to live by, and I hope everybody's getting something out of this because there's a lot of negativity. And even on our show here sometimes, I mean, like we've done quite a few shows. Jeez, oh, I don't even know how many. Well, close to 400 episodes now, and it seems like over the past year, things have taken a really negative turn with the way life is. And it's just you coming on and bringing your, your extreme positivity is, I think, a nice turn and just a, a sense that we're coming out of this on the other side now. And I think that we're going to get back to a good place as far as a society where people are happier and, and healthier and just living life. And if there's anything that we can take from this past year is like we have to change. Everyone has to change. And that's the truth. Um, it's, it's just we we have to. We have to get better. And it seems like the powers that be, the ones that are in control of our lives, aren't encouraging it. So we have to find inspiration within each other and you and your books and things like that. So it's just it's just a really nice outlet to have. And maybe I'll pick up my pen again. I don't know if I'm going to start writing again, but you've inspired me to do something with myself. Just always do it in a playful way. Don't take it too seriously. When I write a book, I'm playing. That's what I tell myself. And when I start taking it too seriously, it's time to start to get up and dance because you just like, just play with it. Enjoy yourself and just see what flows. Because really, these are all ideas. They're raining through us. It's channeling through us. We are all getting our energy from the same source. It's the first law of thermodynamics. No energy is ever lost or destroyed. Just let it flow. Just let it keep flowing and play. And and we're all we all are changed people from this pandemic. We're we're all of us that are left, we're all better people. We're all people that have learned not to take everything for granted like we did before. Absolutely. Now I do see here that you were are, are also an editor of books for women. What kind of books do you write for women and are, 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 are edit like what kind of stuff do you get into there as far as the, the books for women go? Yeah, I, I have edited a few books for women. Well, actually, when I was an undergraduate at Harvard, I was the, I, I helped with that book about that's used in many women's studies uh, classes and courses around the country. Um, women look at biology, looking at women about. It was about why are so many, 
anorexics women why is it a common thing for women to be anorexic you know here i was actually suffering from it myself kind of and i'm writing about it but that's typical you know <laughs> and uh and then let's see i wrote books about woman of valor going into from the torah from the bible like i was bringing out the different women and what the, their virtues are what are their strengths what can we learn from them and then there was another book that I edited about marriage, Two Halves of a Hall, about just basically how to have a wonderful marriage. Yeah. <laughs> There's some great life lessons right there. Now, do you find it more rewarding writing for children or for adults? I love to write for children. It comes more naturally to me. I have to be a little more serious when I write for adults, and I prefer to be in that joyful playful state of writing for children i write for adults when i'm asked to or like there's a really important topic and people like if no one else is writing the article i'll write it but i really i prefer to write for children yeah uh yeah i mean there's just something about writing for someone who's still learning and, and who needs guidance in life as opposed to someone who's already lived it and is a little bit more jaded in life so i do understand where you're coming from there and with women, you you mentioned the anorexia, and it's just for society as a whole and the way that women are portrayed, you have to have this certain look. You have to be a certain way as far as a woman goes. And there really is no guidebook on how to be a woman or how to be a man, but they have these preconceived notions on how they're supposed to be because of society and the media and you know, movies and television and all sorts of stuff out there. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who doesn't feel comfortable in their own body and how would you tell them to just get better or, or how would you advise them? There was so much confusion for me growing up. And I talk about in my book, I'm talking about how I'm reading these women's magazines and they're all about diet, diet, diet. And then the next page is about recipes for strawberry shortcake and how to make yes. this. You know, it was like complete confusion. What am I supposed to be? You know, I, I it was so confusing. So that's how I, you know, got into that trap along with so many other women, and with the crazy dieting, and then uh, fluctuating with the yo-yo dieting and the binging and nothing related to really being hungry or not. It was not. I was not eating according to that at all. So um, what I would recommend is, you know, that really, and, and another thing that you brought up is like, we don't have the power. I think we do have the power. This pleasure ladder shows that it's within our power to bring pleasure into our lives at every moment. Like I say, even a person incarcerated, and, and a, an addiction is an incarceration. Anybody that is incarcerated can still bring all these levels of pleasure into their lives at any moment. And we can do that. And we, we don't have to get caught up in all the crazy dieting and all that stuff because we can just really enjoy life. Our, the purpose of life is to experience the greatest pleasure possible. There's an abundance of ways to have pleasure and, and so many natural, wonderful foods, which it is almost impossible to um, overeat like a bag of oranges. Like you just don't do that, you know? It's like, it's like the addictive stuff that we overeat because these things are filled with fiber and the nutrients we eat and we eat like the right amount of them. So if you just stick to eating healthy foods, then you won't have to worry about dieting or any special specific thing. I think you just, just eat 
eat, eat what's really both delicious and nutritious for you. So let me ask you a couple of questions here in closing. Um, here's the million dollar question. <laughs> what is the thing that you are most proud of in your own personal life? I, 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 I never like to say that I'm proud of anything because, well, it depends what you mean. Like pride, pride to me creates a kind of disconnection of the flow because it's not me doing anything. It's just like it's all flowing through. This is all energy that we're all just passing around. Like really, we're all one soul. We look like we're separate because we're in different bodies. But really, like like an ocean, like you can't separate one drop of water from another drop of water in the ocean. That's really how we are. We're all together in this. And there's an expression, we're not here to see through each other. We're here to see each other through. So it's not like I feel pride. If I feel pride, then it's ego. Then I'm feeling separate. And to me, ego is edging God out. You know, we're like really all connected. So what I'm doing now is for myself. What I'm doing now, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm sharing with other people to make their souls shine brighter, it makes my soul shine brighter. So it's not like I, I can feel proud of that. I'm just doing what I'm here for. Yeah, that's unbelievable. It, it really is, and you, you're basically like a, a servant for others. Like your 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 life now, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, is basically helping others. Now, do you ever feel, or do you think there's ever going to be a moment in time where you're like, I should have taken more time on myself instead of helping others? Do you think that's ever going to happen, or is this genuinely what you love doing? Oh, but I'm having a blast. I, 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 everything I'm doing for others is for myself, you know, because that's it. When I, but I mean, like, what else? I'm doing everything truthfully for my own pleasure because I'm, I, 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 what? I'm eating all these wonderful natural foods. I'm dancing. I'm doing yoga. I'm, I'm surrounded, you know, by, I'm, I'm focusing on all the people that I'm loving in my life. I'm doing meaningful things. I'm being creative and transcending limitations. This is, this is all, this is all for me, but me is part of you and part of everybody else. You know, we're all, as if I nourish my soul, I'm nourishing other souls. So we're all connected. <laughs> now, you mentioned dancing a few times. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of dancing are you doing? Where are you doing it? What's going on? <laughs> well, when I when I listen to music on the radio, right away I start dancing. I don't even I just like that's what happens. I love to dance. And and I also do some classes online. Like we do Zoom classes, you know, where everybody's dancing together. So I love that also. Even during the pandemic, I was doing that. So, you know, I couldn't go to the community center for classes. So I did them online and I, I made new friends, people that weren't in my community. So it, it's like it was really great. Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. And, and that's the thing. People need to do things that make them happy. Even if it takes you out of your comfort zone, you may realize that is your comfort zone. If you tried it, you know, don't be afraid. Get up and dance once in a while. Do something that you've never done before. Make yourself happy. Anything that can just improve your quality of life and put a smile on your face is it's just something you should do. And, and, and that's really cool. And, and I think it's very cute. And I think it's just awesome that you're that, that you're so happy and your positivity just bleeds through the microphone. <laughs> Seriously, it's I can tell that, that you're a happy person and you're genuine with everything that you say. 
thank you so much. Yeah. A, a pleasure to share here, especially on Voices of Misery. Amazing. I'm going to change the name of the show, the, the Voices of Positivity <laughs> after this one. I'm telling you. <laughs> now, just like one or two more questions here. Do you have any, any regrets in life? Anything you wish you could take back now? And I can't say that because, I mean, even the crazy things that I did during, while, I, you know, I had my addictions, I kind of regret, I definitely regret doing them. In fact, like, and it's part of 12 steps is asking for forgiveness, you know, like, um, I had to ask forgiveness from people, like I, I stole food from some, you know, stupid things that I was doing, you know, like I had to actually contact these people and let them know that I was the one that did it, you know, like it's embarrassing and degrading, but, you know, I regret doing those things, but everything was part of my past. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, but the thing is like the experiences that you had in life made you the person who you are today. Yeah. So you really can't call them regrets. It's just maybe things that you wish you did differently, I, I guess, is probably a better way I should have put that one for you. But needless to say, I mean, you became an amazing person. And that's the bottom line here. Like, you became a great person. So the negative experiences in life really made you who you are. And it, it's just amazing. And you've just talking to you for this hour here, I really feel like you made me a better person. And oh. and. and I, I'm trying. I mean, the people that listen to the show, I mean, we get thousands of downloads a day and it's just, you know, it, it, it's like a personal journey. You're trying to become a better person. As you get older in life, you, you start to think like, hey, this is what I should be doing differently. I want to maybe change my persona and it's who I am and how I think and everything like that. It, it, it's just a really tough personal journey to go down. And with people like you out there, it's just a blessing to have you basically and then just people like you to the to, to help guide you and if there's anything that you would recommend for the listeners of the show um what would you recommend for people as far as starting to get on this path like people that may be on the fence about maybe changing themselves and getting better how would you recommend they start it's it's really funny um jeff bezos has a line oh I wrote it down here. I'm trying to find it. But anyway, it's something like this. You know, oh, yeah. Everything I ever did started small. I love that. Because, <laughs> like, he's like the epitome of big, you know? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Everything I ever did started small. That is it. That is really all it's about. Just be grateful for one thing this moment. Be grateful that you're breathing. Be grateful for the tree outside your window. Um, when I was in the the lowest state of my life, all I did was focus on this one tree. I said, there is something beautiful in this world. There's a tree. And I just kept looking at it. There was nothing else I could hold on to right then. There was the tree. You know, just focus on one thing and it will grow. Just keep that gratitude growing. That's That's what I recommend. And always remember that even though we look like we're physical, we are really spiritual beings in our essence. That's who we are. So we're, we're, we're all connected. You're never alone. You're never estranged or alienated. You may feel that way sometimes, but we are really all in this together. Oh, I couldn't have said it better myself, Bracca. Um, 
Oh boy. I, you know, I feel like a changed man right now. I really do. I think I might go out there and hug my kids and eat some uh, healthy food, even though I've been you know, doing that stuff, but I'm just going to do it even more. I'm going to double down here. <laughs> so just in closing here, just let people know Braca, where they can find you, where they can buy your books, where they can see all your media and things and everywhere that you are, everywhere Braca gets this, let the people know right now, because I know they're going to be scrambling for more information after the show. <laughs> well, really, the easiest thing is my Amazon author page because all my books are in one spot and there's my contact information there. You could just, yeah, find out everything about me on my Amazon author page. Just look it up. Yep. Now, one, now I lied. There's one last thing, and this <laughs> is more of a request, okay? Whatever book you think is your favorite book about kids with disabilities, I would love for you to autograph one and send it to me because my daughter has autism. Wow. And, yeah, and I don't know. It would just it would just mean a lot. You know, I think that'd be a great thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes, and the book is about that too, about autism. How? Yeah, that's that's an invisible disability. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yes. that's how I knew this would be a perfect fit here, having you on the show, because I talk about my daughter a lot on the show and just the disability and things like that that she has. So this meant a lot to me to have you on the show because it, it, it really does shine a light on just how people with disabilities are, are special as well. And, and, and everyone has that inner light that they can bring out to the world and just spread joy to everyone else and just become better people. And, and, and you are that beacon. You are the you are the one out there just uh, going out there and just just making a difference in people's lives. And I really do appreciate you coming on here. It's been well, a well, a you are too. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brock. I appreciate you. And and please, I implore everyone to go check out all of her stuff. Go to the website, buy all of her books, make her a millionaire, and let's get rid of Bill Gates and make her the new billionaire. Brock, <laughs> it's Voices of Positivity podcast. I appreciate you. 